Hey, Drew Dixon, Chief Content Nerd at Loveline Nerd, back with you for another Bible Thump. Uh, hope that this one really hurts. No, I'm kidding. I hope it doesn't hurt. I hope it encourages you. That's the goal of these, is to um, just spend some time in God's Word, in the Bible, and, and hopefully you step away refreshed, encouraged, um, empowered, you know, to live for 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 the king, for the glory of, of God, for the good of the world, uh, to engage in the purpose God has given us to um, advance his kingdom and to share the good news of his son. So that's the goal. Um, we've been talking about identity because I think that's key to living out our purpose. Um, and we've said that our identity refers to the story that shapes us. You know, it has to do with the beliefs that motivates us. And we believe that our identity, how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves and our place in the world, shapes shapes our story. And so we've talked about false identities that, that could lead to ruin and disaster if we're not careful. And so last week we talked about one of the aspects of our identity as as image bearers, as as those who bear God's image, and that's to to work, to work and keep the garden. And we talked about how um, we should be asking these uh, questions about work. You know, what's God's design for it? What is what good does God want to do through me for the, in the world? Um, you know, God was the first worker, and He is this one who works in such a way that brings order and beauty and benefit to the world. And that's what he calls us to do as well. But we also know that work is broken, right? And it's it's subject to frustration. Um, there's, you know, we want work to be awesome and wonderful, but instead it's full of thorns and thistles. And so instead of work being wonderful and paying well and uh, being really fulfilling, it's difficult and it doesn't always pay well. And it takes a toll on our physical bodies. And then there's layoffs and then there's greedy employers and then there's, um, you know, benefits that seem, instead of to be getting better, seem to be getting worse. Um, so we talked about how um, Christ wants to redeem our work. Um, and so, uh, you know, even though work is frustrating, there's a way that we can engage in it in a way that would benefit the world and that would bring glory to God. And so we challenge ourselves to ask Genesis 1 questions about our work. Where is there... Where are there things that are, you know, desert in my life, right? Things that are disordered and I'm not, you know, are, are, are chaotic. And how can I get to the work of bringing, bringing order and beauty for God's glory out of those things that are disordered for the good of the world, for the good of my neighbor? How can I have a more others-centered view of the work that God places before me? And then we encouraged you to ask Genesis 3 questions about our work, right? Genesis 3 is where Adam and Eve give into the temptation to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then God places a curse on the work that they were to do. Um, and so this is asking questions about where have things gone wrong? What's the problem with the way I approach work? How can I be a part of the solution? How might I bring the gospel to bear on the work that God's placed before me, on this situation that I'm in, on this problem that's facing me and my coworkers, where's their potential for order and beauty and benefit of others? So we should be asking ourselves, how are we gifted? How are the people around us gifted? How are we empowered? And how are we empowering others? Um, what I want you to know is there is so much potential in you for love, for service, for industry, for mission, for this great call God has placed on our lives and hearts as human beings to make the world a better place, to um, bring his kingdom forward and to see it 
impact the world uh, for His glory and for, for, for our good, for human flourishing. So you're a part of this great human project that God has began. You are an important part of it. You're not, you're not an accident. You're not um, you know, a secondary player in the story, but no, you're crucial to the work God wants to do in the world. Um, and I hope you see that. So let's continue. We've talked about three aspects of what it means to bear God's image and what, what our identity is as image bearers. And so those three things are, are, are ruling. Ru- ruling, we talked about in the kind of the early sessions of this series on identity. Um, God has given us this divine, uh, dignified calling to bear his image. And then we talked about working. That was the last couple of weeks. We talked about working um, and how God has given us a dignified and good work He's given us dignified and good work to do in the world for the good of the world and for his glory. And then I want to talk about the third today. I want to begin talking about the third and most foundational aspect of bearing God's image, and that's that we're called to reflect. That's what images do at their most fundamental level is the images are, by very nature, their reflections. So, but before we talk about that, I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about about heaven, and uh, I promise you I'm going to tie this into this discussion of identity. You may be thinking, what does heaven have to do with identity? What does it have to do with our identity as image bearers who are made to reflect God's glory into the world? And I promise you it actually has a lot. So just bear with me for a minute. Let's let's talk about heaven. Uh, One of the things I always got annoyed with when I was younger and would go to church was the way people talked about heaven it annoyed me because they made it sound so boring, right? Like this this otherworldly eternal church service in this celestial space where we're just like singing songs 24-7, like singing praise songs 24-7, which I never enjoyed growing up because I'm not a great singer and uh, I just I – just, I just didn't like the singing part of the service back then. And say what you will about me, but I've never been to a church service I'm just being honest. I've never been to a church service that was so good that I didn't want it to end. <laughs> like I know people say that, but like I've never had that experience. I'm just being honest. Like I've always wanted it to come to an end at some point, right? Um, I've never been to a church service so good that I wanted to carry it on. I wanted it to just carry on into eternity, right? Have you? Um, so if you're like me. And that sounds awfully boring to you, like if heaven's this eternal church service um, where we sing God's praises in this otherworldly, eternal, blissful place, I think I have some good news for you today. That's not even close to the Bible's conception of heaven. In fact, most of us have a conception of heaven that is more shaped by pop culture than by the Bible. So I just want to challenge you as as we continue talking about identity, to check what you think of as heaven at the door. Because chances are, if you're like me, your view of heaven doesn't actually mesh with what the Bible says about heaven. It isn't entirely biblical. The Bible's conception of heaven isn't so much this amazing and glorious place that we all get to escape to one day and fly off to be there one day if we trust in Jesus, but rather heaven in the Bible is the dwelling place of God. It's his throne room. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Isaiah 66, 1. So heaven is the place of God. It's the realm of God where he rules in glory. And according to the Bible, this heaven, the place where God reigns and rules in glory and glory and perfection and justice and majesty and mercy, uh, has already invaded our world. 
and will one day fully and finally invade Earth. So that actually has a lot to say about identity. That connects to our identity in an important way because there is someone who's entered our world um, and has brought God's reign and rule to bear on this earthly sphere that we call home, right? So we saw this at the very beginning when we looked at Jesus' earthly ministry. When Jesus first began his ministry, what did he do? He preached, right? When Jesus first begins his earthly ministry, he preached. And what did he preach? He preached this. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See Matthew 4.17 or, or Mark 1.15, right? Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Matthew recorded those words of Jesus, he knew exactly what he was doing. And he was writing to people who didn't have all the baggage that we have about heaven in their minds. But it should be even more mind-blowing to us than it was to them because of all of our baggage, right? But look, he's saying that the rule and reign of God has invaded our world and is invading our world. And this reign and rule is directly tied to Jesus, who Jesus is and what he came to do. And what do we see Jesus doing in the Gospels? We see him reigning and ruling in all kinds of powerful, cataclysmic, radical ways. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He calms storms and proclaims people's sins forgiven. Jesus is ushering in God's perfect reign and rule. Jesus is ushering in God's perfect reign and rule into our broken, messed up world. So we've got to stop thinking of heaven as this place we go to when we die to escape all the things that we don't like about earth, because that's not the way the Bible talks about heaven. That's not the Bible's conception of heaven. In fact, there are really just two New Testament passages that speak to what happens to us when we die, and neither of them refer directly to quote-unquote heaven. So one is... Jesus' encounter with the thief on the cross in Luke 23. And he said, Jesus, remember, the, the thief says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Then there's another example where the Bible talks about something of like a post-death experience with Jesus. And it's Paul uh, in Philippians 1, and Paul in Philippians 1 is in, when he's writing Philippians, he's in prison, and he's worried that he may soon be facing death uh, for his faithfulness to the gospel. He might be executed. It's certainly a possibility that's crossing his mind, and he's, he's, he's worried about it to some extent. And he says this um, to the church of Philippi, and he said, he said uh, for me to live as Christ to die is gain, Philippians 1, 21. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. What, yeah, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So those are the only two New Testament passages that speak to what happens to us when we die, and neither of them refer directly to heaven. So, um, so don't mishear me. If you trust in Jesus, the Bible does give you good news about what happens after you die. According to, the, to Jesus on the cross, speaking to the thief, and according to, to Paul, you will be with Jesus. You will be with Jesus. That's really good news, right? Um, but that's not the end. That's not the end. So what's the point of all this? What does this have to do with the image of God? Um, well, I bring all this up because the Bible's conception of heaven, the throne of God, 
invading our world through Jesus is directly tied to our identity as God's image bearers. Secondly, I bring this up because the passage we're about to get into, that we'll get into next week in in Colossians chapter 3, is one that we tend to interpret in light of our cultural notion of heaven as this pie-in-the-sky, eternal church service, this sort of place we go to escape this broken world. And that's not at all the Bible's conception of heaven. No, the story of the Bible is about God breaking into our world, bringing the place where he reigns and rules to bear um, heaven, as it were, invading our space, invading our world. This is why Jesus told his followers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The chief thing that Jesus called his followers to pray was this catechismic, cataclysmic, radical, earth-shattering prayer of, of God, bring that place where you reign and rule perfectly. Bring it to bear. Let that place invade our place, the place where we live and the place where we do life. And that's what we're called to do as image bearers. That's a small picture of what we hope for. We want Jesus to invade more and more and more of our lives. Because what happens when Jesus invades places? Um, we think of invading as a bad thing, right? Um, it's hard for us to get out of our minds this idea of, of like invaders um, destroying cities and, and things. That's not what I'm talking about, right? When Jesus went places, he did work that brought order and beauty and benefit, that made those places better. Um, Jesus stepped into situations and said, uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus stepped into places and healed people who had leprosy for years and their flesh was being eaten away and they were cast out of communities and told they were unclean and didn't have a place in those communities. And he healed them so they could be restored to their friends and family and to, and to, and to the cities and cultures that they wanted to be a part of, right? He made things new. He made things better. Jesus in the Gospels is constantly stepping in and taking things that are broken, things that are corrupt, things that are out of order, things that are not as they should be, and restoring them and making them good and beautiful and useful and valuable. Not that they weren't already valuable and useful, but he's bringing their potential out and making things things better. That's what Jesus wants to do in us, and he wants us to reflect his goodness in the world. He wants us to invite him to invade more and more of our lives to make them better and to make them more beautiful and to um, benefit the people around us and to make their lives better. And so next week, we'll open up Colossians 3 and we'll see how this powerful, life-transforming, cataclysmic kingdom of heaven has already broke into our world such that it is no longer the same. And the gospel is this story about how Jesus, the one true human being, the one person that got being human right, um, is in the business of making us new and inviting us into this mission of restoration that he's been at work at um, since he came since he came to earth. And it's an exciting mission. It's a dignified mission. It's good news. Thanks for your time. Thanks for bearing with me in these uh, 
these Bible thumps. I hope you feel properly thumped. And uh, I hope that if you know anything and hear anything from me, it's this. Jesus loves you, nerd.